this morning. <laughs> I'm so glad we're talking about money. I love talking about money when new people show up. This is great. I just felt called in sick. Like, I was just like, you know, I don't feel good. Let's just, work. like, when you have an idea, if you know that there's a bunch of people coming, money is not the topic of choice for new people and for guests because money is an uncomfortable topic. We don't like talking about it. We don't like being challenged on it. We just don't, ugh, just let me do my thing with money. And especially in today's day. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm feeling a little bit of a pinch lately. Things seem to be getting a little bit tighter lately. Money does not seem to be going quite as far as it did even a couple months ago. And I don't know, maybe it's just poor money management on my part. I'm going to say it right out of the gate. We're talking about money today, but I am no expert, okay? Do not think that I am coming here being like, I am the greatest person with money, and you should all take my example. Please do not follow my example. I am still figuring out. Mm. Anyways, find someone else to, to imitate when it comes to money, okay? That's all I'm trying to say. But, um, and I don't think I'm the only one who's feeling is a little tight. I saw this quote on Facebook the other day, and I thought it summed up kind of how most people are feeling. Uh, my grocery bill looks like my gas bill. My gas bill looks like my Costco bill. And my Costco bill looks like my mortgage. How can anyone afford to live? I have an idea. Stop shopping at Costco. Like, that might solve some of your problems. But it's true. I'm gonna actually, I'm just going to leave that up there for a little bit. Uh, but uh, anybody else? Anybody else feeling like this has been the trend? That what used to <clears throat> what money used to buy, how things used to go, just do not seem to be working quite like they used to. And the question is, is what do we do? What do we do about it? Do we complain? Well, no, we've been talking lots about complaining not really being the way God wants us to handle tough times. So what is the solution? What has God got in store for us for our money? Does God have a plan? Does God have a way for us to get out of, from under this pressure so that we can get back to enjoying life? Because when things are tight, it's hard to enjoy life. It's hard to do the things that we want to do because we're always worried about the bottom line. We always got one eye on the bank account. Do I have enough to put gas in the tank? Do I have enough to get groceries on the table? Do I have enough to put my kids in sports? Do I have enough? And what am I going to have to sacrifice in order to make this thing I want to do happen? I have had so many conversations with people talking about how their summer plans have been completely scrapped because of the price of gas. People do not want to travel. And it's tough when you have a routine, you have something that you've done year after year, and all of a sudden, you can't do it anymore. So what does God have to say about our finances? What is, what is his great plan? And this morning, we're going to be in Malachi 3, um, and we're going to cover a big chunk of Malachi 3, not just the part about tithing. Um, so yeah. Without any further ado, we're just going to dive right in. Malachi 3, starting in verse 6. God says, I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. 
Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Wait, I thought we were talking about money. Well, this sets up a really important part of what God is trying to say to Israel and what I believe what God is trying to say to us. Most of the reason... (coughs) That we are struggling, that our money is tight, that things have gotten so expensive. Actually, it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with what is going on in our culture. God has said over and over again that our sin, the sin of our nation, will impact everything. And we forget that. We often overlook the impact that sin has on our lives, on the lives of our family, on the lives of our community, and the lives of And our finances. Sin impacts our finances. And what God is saying to the Israelites here is, I have given you my decrees. I have given you my laws. I have given you everything you need to succeed. And because you have scorned them, you're cursed. He's going to say that in a little bit. You are under a curse. You have gone far from me. And Israel's like, but we didn't go anywhere. We're still in the land that you gave us. What do you mean we're far from you? God said, well, your heart is far from me. You don't want a relationship with me. You don't want to be close to me. You have drawn away from me. You've drawn away from my ways. And you are, you're paying the price for it. Chronicles says this, at times, God says this, at times I shut up my heaven so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Uh, A few years ago, a man by the name of E.M. Bounds, writing a book on prayer, said that, society is the way it is because God's people don't pray enough. And we don't like to hear that because all of a sudden the onus is on us. And, and Peter, he, Peter tells the people of God that you are now called to be a nation of priests. What was the role of the priest? The priest was to stand, be the representative of the people to God. And he says that you as believers are now part of this nation. You are now part of this priesthood. And it is your job to stand in the gap, to represent our nation to God and cleanse the sins, ask for forgiveness, humble yourselves before God on behalf of our neighbors, on behalf of our community. And God says, if, I, if you would humble yourselves, I would heal your land. So much of what is going on is because we as God's people so often sidestep, run away, avoid our responsibility as the priests and priestesses of our community and of our family. We're not praying. We're not, we're not repenting on behalf of... People who don't believe in God are not going to repent of their sins. People who do not believe in God are not going to ask for forgiveness for their sins. So it is our job to stand in the gap and to ask on their behalf, God, forgive our country because they don't know what they are doing. God, forgive them for their error. Forgive, forgive us 
Because the reality is, is that we can do everything right financially. We can do everything right on the other. On <clears throat> but if we do not address this sin issue, nothing is going to change. It's just going to continue to be hard. It's going to continue to be challenging. And so as God's people called by his name, it is our role to humble ourselves. And I'm going to do this. It's going to hurt. That's okay. Humble ourselves before our God and say, God, forgive our country. Forgive our leaders. Forgive our neighbors. God, move. And along with that, having the humbleness and the humility to recognize that we have at times tolerated too much sin in our own lives and repent of it and for ourselves. God, forgive me for... Forgive me for my spirits of anger. God, forgive me for the things that I watch. God, forgive me and forgive my nation. Forgive my community. And we are so quick, we are so often to skip this part. We want to skip over the sin issue. We want to ignore the sin issue. We want to just get past the sin issue and just get to everything else. But the reality is, is that the sin issue is the primary issue. And until we make it right, nothing else matters. And too often, we as God's people tolerate too much sin where God says flee from even a hint of it flee from the temptation of it we're like ah, it's not that bad it's a little sin quote-unquote there's no such thing as a little sin because all it takes is a little poop in the brownies have you ever seen that video and it wrecks the whole batch it takes a little sin to completely derail our relationship with God. All it takes is a little bit of sin to, con to confuse us, to distract us. It just takes a little bit. Ooh, okay, just give me a sec. <coughs> Malachi starts by saying, you got to repent. Draw back to me. James says, if you will draw near to our God, God will draw near to you. What are the things, and it's so often when we have, because we know, we know the things that we have allowed to just fester in our life. We know the things that we have just tolerated, and we just hope that God tolerates it as much as we do. But it festers, and it festers, and all of a sudden, I don't feel like the guilt starts to build, and the, the, the conviction kind of, no, it's not conviction, it's guilt. The guilt starts to build. I know I've been putting up with this far too long. Ah, maybe I won't pray today. Oh, I read my Bible, and it just seems to be hitting me right at this spot that I need to deal with. Maybe I'll just stop reading my Bible, and all of a sudden we have, our hearts have moved far from him, the same way the Israelite heart had moved far from God. Every issue, your money issues, your relationship issues, your marriage issues, your job issues, every issue can be tracked back to this 
major issue, the sin issue. Now, this is not a health and wealth. I'm not saying that, you, you know, you ask for forgiveness and you're going to have six figures. And you're, No, I'm not, I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that God wants to bless you and God wants to move and God wants to open doors for you that you can't open for yourself and you can't experience an abundant life. But it starts with getting this right. Continuing on, Malachi 3, start verse 8. Should people cheat God? Oh, good start. Okay. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. We'll come back to that. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now Malachi starts off and he says, you've got people been cheating me because I haven't bringing the tithes and the offerings. And I want to just park there for a sec. This is a, probably the biggest part of God's plan for your economics, for your finances, that we so often get wrong in the New Testament church. He doesn't say, bring just your offerings. He doesn't say, just bring your tithes. He doesn't say, bring tithes or your offerings. He says, bring your tithes and your offerings. Now, if you're new to church and you haven't heard that word before, what in the world is a tithe? The Old Testament teaches us that the tithe was the first 10%. The first, before anything. Before your taxes, before your rent comes out, or your mortgage, before you pay your gas bill, before... Da, 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 da. Before anything, the first tenth, the very best of the best of whatever it is that you've done, that first ten percent belonged to God, no questions asked. Everything above and beyond the tithe was considered to be an offering. Now, I'm not going to get into like the whole alms and you know, all that stuff. If you want to get into like the deeper theology of it, go read the Bible yourself. But the big thing is... The difference between tithes and offering. And the reason that this is so important is because when we have <laughs> when we have a guest speaker come in, or we have an opportunity to take up a special offering, or summer hits. Oh, we won't worry about summer. When we take up a special offering or a missionary comes or we have a guest speaker, every single treasure in the in every single church I've ever been a part of starts to sweat. We talk about missionaries, guest speakers, and special offerings. Do you know why? Because often our approach to our finances is, well, I have this 10% that I have set aside. So let's say your 10% is 200 bucks. Well, instead of giving the full 200 bucks to the church, I'll give 100 bucks to the church and I'll throw 100 bucks in for the special offering. That way it's still within the realm of my tithe. Now, that's not how that works. The tithe goes to the church, period. The tithe goes to the temple, 
period. If you want to give a special offering, if you want to contribute to something above and beyond, that is the offering. It is not to cut into the tithe. God's design for your finances is the first 10% always goes to the local church and everything above and beyond is what is called an offering. Because I, I'll, I'll tell you how the conversation went. Hey, Jim, Brian's sharing. We're going to take up a special offering. Sweat starts to run down his face. Jim, why are you so upset about that? You worried about how we're going to get the money where it needs to go? No. Worried about how we're going to pay our bills after that. I'm worried about how we're going to keep all of our staff after that. I'm worried about how because that is going to affect our bottom line as a church. And this is why I hate talking about money because it's like, I need more money. That's not what I'm saying. Because what it actually is all about is honoring God with our finances. And when we, don't, when we mishandle the tithe, we're actually dishonoring God. This is the part where he's talking about, you're stealing from me, you're cheating me, you're cheating your local church, you're not doing it the way that I have called you to do it. The tithe goes to the church, and everything above and beyond, you want to do a special offering, that comes after the tithe. It's why it's often in the Old Testament called a sacrifice. Because especially in today's day, where things are a little tight, we're like, ooh, you mean I have to, ooh, I don't have any extra to give to, ooh, it's why it's called a sacrifice, because it's tough at times, because it makes us a little uncomfortable, because it actually puts us in a position where we have to trust God to be who God says he is, because if God says that you can put Put them to the test in this. Be faithful, be obedient, be cheerful. Don't be, don't be miserable about this. We'll talk about that later. Don't be miserable as you put the tithe offering in the video. Hit send. Put your finger through the phone. It says, put me to the test. Be obedient. Follow my ways. And he's not just talking about the money. He's talking about being obedient to all of his statutes, all of his commands, all of his teachings, all of his ways. Be obedient. Put me to the test and see that I will not pour out my blessings on you in abundance. Because this is not the first time God's made this promise. He said it all the way back in Deuteronomy. Israel's about to go into the promised land. Moses is about to die because he can't enter the promised land. And he opened, we'll open up Deuteronomy 28. And what do we read? God says, if you will follow me all of your days, you will honor me with all of your words, with your finances, with your family, with your time, with your land. You will never cease to have people in this promised land. You will never cease to be blessed Nations will look to you and see how prosperous you are and be envious of you. But if you turn from me, if you take your own paths, then you will bring on yourself a curse and I will wipe you out. You will become an insult to the nations around you. This is God's promise to him and to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. Ooh, that's kind of two extremes. I want to be in this lane of obedience and blessing and good things. 
God says, I dare you. Put me to the test. Be obedient. Honor me in all that you do. Honor me with all of your ways. And I see if I do not pour out heaven's blessings on you, on your family, on fill in the blank. Put me to the test. This is the, one of the few times, I shouldn't say that. Whenever God tells us to test him, it is never go do something stupid and see if I'll protect you. That's never the test that God wants us to do. God's test for us is always be obedient. Even when the pressure is on, even when it'd be easier to go your own way, even when it would be easier to compromise, even when it'd be easier to just give in this one time, test me. Remain obedient at all things and see if I will not open my storehouses to you. See that I will not open heaven's gates. Sometimes obedience requires humility, which brings us back to the Second Chronicles passage. That if God's people just humble themselves, God would heal our land. See, it really is all about finances, but it actually has nothing to do with your finances. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So I brought up three instances where God says, if you will obedient, if you will honor me, if you will do things the way I've taught you to do them, I will pour out my blessing and abundance on you. That seems to be a big, God seems to be pretty committed to this idea that if we're going to do things his way, he'll take care of us. Malachi, the chapter continues, and this is the part I have, in, in all my years of listening to preachers and going through, I have never seen this part the way that I've seen it today. Uh, so I hope that this is, <laughs> I found this very interesting. God continues, he says, you have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by showing, trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? Oh, everything we just talked about. Okay, good to know. From now on, we'll call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Anybody else had that conversation before? This is the hardest conversation. I didn't realize God had been having this conversation with Israelites. That would have been good to know. So many conversations with people writing off church, writing off God, because like, I did the thing, I did the obedience thing, I did the, and I, my bank account wasn't full, I still struggled, I still went through hard times, I still fill in the blank. It's exactly what God is saying to the Israelites through Malachi. We have did the obedience thing, we repented of our sins, and nothing seemed to change. The evil still get rich, and everyone who curses God, nothing ever happens to them. So we're going to do it their way. It seems to be easier. It's all a big sham. And I think the problem is in verse 15 where it says the evil still get rich. 
So often we come into these money passages and we look at these teachings and we, we're looking for our get-rich-quick scheme. And we forget the fact that we serve a God who's actually more interested in having a relationship with you and God being close to you and giving you bigger riches than money could ever be, having, giving you a relationship, giving you... <clears throat> The abundance we are meant to experience comes from the fact that we are children of God and that God lacks nothing. It's not that our bank account all of a sudden gets bigger. It's not the fact that all of a sudden everything just seems to, you know, our houses get ten times bigger and our cars get ten times nicer. That's not the blessing God's talking about. God's blessing is that I have more than enough for you. Each of you, all of you, everyone all at once. If you would just trust me, I would meet your needs in abundance. You would never fail to have everything met. I would never fail to feed you. I would never fail to clothe you. I would never fail to pay your bills. I'd never fail you if you would just draw near to me. That's why he sent his son. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you could have more money. He just died on a cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins, you could start a new life, become a new creation, have a relationship with him, and experience blessing and fulfillment, and, and experience it in spades because you're not going to find it anywhere else. Mark 10, this is a, ch- this is a story that we've all heard, but I'm gonna, this is going to take a while. Sit back, relax. This is a big, big chunk of scripture, but there's really important things Jesus says in this. As Jesus is starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inter- inherit eternal life? If you've been in church, you know how this story goes. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone on your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. He's feeling pretty good about himself. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I don't think God actually wants us to be rich, because according to Jesus, it's hard for rich people to get in. Anyways, we'll get to that. This amazed them. Why? Because in that day, rich people, all they had to do was read God's word and draw near to him. If, If the rich who had nothing but time to honor God and know his word, we're going to have trouble getting in. What hope was there for the rest of them? But Jesus said, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't care what you've heard. There's not a gate at Jerusalem called the eye. He's literally talking about a camel going through the eye of a needle. Big camel, little eye. Disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. And Peter began to speak up. We've given up 
everything to follow you. So this is the exact opposite of being rich. They've given up everything. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. Oh, thanks, Jesus, for tacking that on there. Everything else sounded real good. A hundred times everything. Oh, yeah, but there's... mm, mm, So close! And in the world to come, that person will will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. What is Jesus saying? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus is saying, because I have been experiencing this in spades. She said, if you give up, if you're willing to sacrifice everything, you're willing to give your all and put Jesus first, put the good news first, get the gospel out to as many people as possible, if you're willing to make that sacrifice, I will give it to you a hundred times over. Do you know how I experience it a hundred times over? All of you. Because you are all brothers and sisters, and your kids are my nieces and nephews in some weird way, but we're just all one big family. I have not seen... I haven't seen lots of my family in a long time, basically since I've become a Christian because they've rejected my way. They've rejected my faith, and in rejecting my faith, they've rejected me. But I have gained infinitely more than I have ever lost. Because what do you say when I come into your home? Make yourself at home. Cool, I have 100 homes now. But as Jesus said, it doesn't come without challenges. It doesn't come without persecution. It doesn't come without its its trials and its tribulations. Jesus never said that if we would just give our all, that everything would go 100% our way all the time. No, there's going to be trials. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be things that come our way, and life is going to go sideways every once in a while because there's still sin in the world and it's still going to muck things up. but we're going to experience blessing and abundance in a way that we can never have because God has given us his church, he's given us his family, he's given us, as a good father, he's given us all good things. We will never be in lack if we just commit to doing things his way. Don't store up treasure here on earth where moth beats them and rust destroys them where thieves break in and steal store your treasures in heaven pay it forward heaven is an investment store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will be also wherever your treasure is where is your treasure today? Are we stockpiling it here? Are we holding on to it? What's mine is mine. Are we holding it open-handed, willing to give whatever we need to give, 
at a moment's notice because we recognize that what is not, what's mine is not mine. What's mine is actually his. God has given it to us. He has entrusted it to us. He is our, he is our father. He is our king. It is all a gift from him, and we're called to be good stewards of it. We're get, called to be generous with it. We're called to be open-handed with it. I got the worship team come on up. I want to close with this. And this is, this, you know, I talk about family. So this is, this is family talk, okay? And everyone who's visiting, you're all just extended family. You all get to be part of the conversation. Um, if you've ever been in church leadership for any amount of time, you know that July and August are two of the worst months at the church. Because so often, everyone goes off on their vacations, they go off on holidays, and the giving dries up. But the church still continues to go. And this is no exception. This year, you, you talk about Jim sweating. The problem is, is that in years past, we have hit June in a really good spot where we can survive July and August. We'll get through it. We'll be okay. September's coming. And the first time since I've been here, Things are a little tight. And as you know, in your own home, when things get tight, decisions have to be made. And I'm leaving it at that. I'm not saying anything else. But as things are tight, and we have a, and, but we still want to give an offering. We still want to come alongside this thing that Brian is so passionate about. We want to be able to be, as a church, a partner to see it become all that it is meant to be. So we're not bowing out of that. But I want to say this. For those of you that have been faithfully giving, thank you. Thank you a hundred times over. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray that you are experiencing the blessing that we're talking about. And if you're here and you have never given to the church, or you're not regularly contributing to what's going on here, I would encourage you to seriously consider getting on board. Now, if you're sitting here thinking 10% seems to be like a lot, especially in today's day, I guarantee you, you can't in one sense, you can't afford not to give the 10%. Malachi just said that because you're not giving your tithes and your offerings, all of it is cursed. But if you give the 10%, the 90 you're left with will be blessed. I just had someone text me the other day tell me that they have been a little hit and miss with their offerings lately. And as soon as they started faithfully tithing, she's the, this individual was like, I don't know what happened. Nothing changed. The bills were all still there. Every, all the expenses were still all there. But somehow we give the tithe and we we're able to add another payment for something. Nothing's changed. Why do we suddenly have more money? Because God's math doesn't make sense. But if 10% is a lot, I encourage you to start with something. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, a farmer who plants a few seeds will only get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. 
and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That's not my heart. I'm not seeing up there. Please give us money. I'm not pressuring you. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide you provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God says if you will contribute to the church, if you will give your tithe and trust God with what you have been given, then you will have all of your needs met and have extra left over to be generous. It's a pretty big promise. It's a pretty good promise. Because what happens is, is when things get tight here at the church, we stop being able to do the things that we feel called to do. We feel handcuffed. We want to bless our community. We want to get into the lives of everyone that God has entrusted us to get into. And we want to be the best possible church we can be for each and every one of you because we want to help. We want to come alongside. We want to counsel. We want to pray. We want to empower. We want to be there for you. But if the money dries up, so does the church, and we can't be who God has called us to be to help you be who God has called you to be. So this is my, my plea. This is not a pressure thing. This is not a... If you're not contributing, I would humbly ask you to consider maybe giving something to help us out, especially in the next coming months. With that, stop rambling. I'm going to pray. Everyone bow with me. Father God, I thank you that you, (laughs) there's nothing in our life that you do not have a plan for, you do not have teachings for, you do not have instructions for. God, I thank you that you have called us, you've given us everything we need to succeed, you've given us a relationship with you so that all of our needs can be met. God, I thank you that in you, we put our trust and our hope and our confidence knowing that you're a good father who knows the needs of his children, who knows the needs of his community and is right there every step of the way to meet all those needs. God, I pray for those who are struggling right now that we would just put our trust in you knowing that you have more than enough. Your storehouses are endless. God, I pray for a blessing on those who have been giving, that they would experience everything we've talked about, that heaven's blessings would open up, that doors would open, and we would be overwhelmed. Father, in a time when things are tight, it can be so tempting to axe the tithe. God, help us to stand firm in what you've called us to do. Help us stand firm to be obedient in the things that you have taught us and led us into. Help us to remain faithful with the good things you have entrusted to us. Help us be good stewards.
God, no matter how trying the times may be, we thank you that you are going to help us through and get us to the other side better than we were in the beginning. Thank you, God, that you use all trials and tests not to diminish us, but to refine us, to make us stronger, to build our character, to be the men and women that you have called us to be. Jesus, we love you. We give you all our praise and thanks in your precious name. Amen.